are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. This is episode 41 of Lighthearted and the first one for the year 2020. I can't believe how futuristic it sounds to say we're now in the year 2020. I remember being a kid and thinking about how I would be 44 years old in the year 2000 and thinking about how I would be very old when the new millennium came. Well, here it is 20 years later, and we still don't have flying cars, but we do have smartphones that control our lives. My co-host today is Michelle Jewell Shaw, amazing photographer, teacher, mom, and award-winning volunteer of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. Hi, Michelle. Happy New Year. Hello, Jeremy, and to our listeners, Happy New Year to you and to everyone out there that's listening to us today. Before we get to the subject of today's episode of Lighthearted, I have a request for our listeners. I know that many people listening are volunteers or staff at lighthouses around the U.S. or in other countries. If you're a lighthouse volunteer or if you work at a lighthouse, we'd love to hear from you. Please email me at jeremy at uslhs.org and let us know why you do what you do. We'd like to know what you love about your lighthouse. What drives you to volunteer or to work at a lighthouse? Volunteers and staff people are the backbone of lighthouse preservation and education, and we want to start including your comments in this podcast. Again, please email us with your comments about why you volunteer or work at a lighthouse at jeremy at uslhs.org. Now let's move on to today's main subject. Since we're well into our New England winter now, although it's actually a pretty nice day here today, I thought it might be nice to head back down to Florida for today's episode. Do you agree, Michelle? Absolutely. I could use some warm sunshine right now. Our subject today is the St. Mark's Lighthouse. This past October 31st, the St. Mark's National Wildlife Refuge in Florida celebrated its 88th anniversary in style with an event that included the relighting of the St. Mark's Lighthouse as a navigational aid after years in darkness. Here's a little historic background on the second oldest light station in Florida. St. Mark's is a small city on Florida's Gulf Coast that's part of the Tallahassee metropolitan area. It was founded by the Spanish in the 1600s. Some say that a stone tower built by the Spanish in the vicinity, equipped with torches, may have functioned as the first lighthouse in the New World. The town of St. Mark's became an important port of entry for the prosperous planting region of Middle Florida and South Georgia. Agricultural products were hauled to the port in wagons, and later an improved road and eventually a railroad connected the port to Tallahassee. Congress passed an act authorizing a lighthouse at St. Mark's and appropriating $6,000 for its construction in 1828. That amount proved insufficient and the appropriation was increased to $14,000. A site was chosen and the prolific contractor Winslow Lewis was hired to build the lighthouse. Lewis's tower, built with hollow walls, was not accepted by the local customs collector, so the lighthouse was rebuilt with solid walls by the contractor Calvin Knowlton. The light began service in 1831. Winslow Lewis returned in 1842 when the station was threatened by erosion. He was hired to dismantle the lighthouse and rebuild it farther inland. Lewis's 1842 tower survived hurricanes, 
including a major one in 1843 that caused tremendous damage to the town of St. Mark's. Damage sustained in the Civil War necessitated repairs to the lighthouse and the attached masonry keeper's quarters. The tower was raised in height in the 1870s, putting the focal plane at 82 feet above mean high water. The light was automated in 1960. In the year 2000, although the Fresnel lens remained in the lantern room of the lighthouse, the navigational light was relocated to the modern, solar-powered optic mounted outside the lantern. St. Mark's Light Station is located within the St. Mark's National Wildlife Refuge, and in 2013, ownership of the light station was officially transferred to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. During a renovation that year, the navigational light was removed and the lighthouse went dark. The lighthouse has recently undergone another major renovation. As part of the culmination of that work, a replica Fresnel lens was installed and illuminated as an aid to navigation on October 31st, 2019. On May 17, 2019, the St. Mark's National Wildlife Refuge and the Friends of St. Mark's Wildlife Refuge received an award for Meritorious Achievement in Restoration and Rehabilitation from the Florida Trust for Historic Preservation for the four-year St. Mark's Lighthouse Restoration Project. The refuge also received the National Award for Historic Preservation from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Friends of St. Mark's Wildlife Refuge is a nonprofit volunteer organization that supports the conservation, education, and preservation work of the St. Mark's National Wildlife Refuge. The Friends work closely with U.S. Fish and Wildlife and were very involved in the recent restoration project. Tom Baird is the chairman of the Friends of St. Mark's Wildlife Refuge Lighthouse Committee and Fundraising Committee Chair. At the October 31st relighting event, Tom was honored for his dedication. I recently had a chance to speak on the phone with Tom Baird. Let's listen to that conversation now. Thank you so much for joining me today, Tom. I, I really appreciate it. I hope the weather's maybe a little better, possibly a little warmer than it is here on the New Hampshire seacoast where I am. It's a pretty dismal, rainy day here today, and we've already had about a foot of snow here. So I... I wish I could be in Florida where you are today. So again, thanks so much for joining me today, Tom. Oh, uh, you're quite welcome. Always happy to talk about the St. Mark's Lighthouse. If we could start a little bit by talking about the history of the, the lighthouse, uh, I think that would be a good, good place to start. We mentioned in the introduction that St. Mark's is the second oldest light station in Florida. The Seminole Indian Wars were certainly a, a major factor at some of the Florida lighthouses. Could you tell us a little bit about what happened at the St. Mark's Lighthouse in the 1830s? Sure. Even though much of the conflict occurred uh, elsewhere in the state, this part of Florida up in the Panhandle was very nervous about Indian attacks, and there had been attacks on isolated farmsteads and so forth. When word got out of the Indians attacking the lighthouse at uh, Mosquito Inlet and, of course, at the Cape Florida Lighthouse, uh, which was a pretty gruesome attack and so forth, the keeper at the St. Mark's Lighthouse requested of the Lighthouse Service that some troops be stationed there for the protection of him and his family. That keeper was the first keeper, actually, of the St. Mark's Lighthouse, Samuel Crosby. The Lighthouse Service refused that. Then Crosby asked for a boat to be used for escape in case of attack. Uh, the service refused that. 
he then hired some armed men uh, for protection, and the lighthouse service told him to fire them or he would be fired. So the lighthouse service was not very sympathetic to the concerns and fears going on and so on, but uh, fortunately, Samuel Crosby's uh, fears were nothing came to fruition. It was never attacked and so forth. So he he missed any damage that way. The Civil War, uh, of course, was another a period that, uh, that where there really was uh, some major action. A lot happened at the St. Mark's Light Station during the Civil War. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, that's when things really got interesting in in terms of armed conflict. Of course, the 1840s and 1850s uh, were pretty dramatic for the lighthouse in terms of hurricanes. But the Port of St. Mark's, it's hard to imagine now, but at one time the Port of St. Mark's was one of the major shipping ports on the Gulf of Mexico. And, the, of course, the Union blockade was put in force, ships to... Uh, prevent shipping in and out of the St. Mark's River. The East Gulf blockading squadron uh, pretty much set up shop off the St. Mark's River. What happened during the Civil War to the lighthouse, the first thing that was done was to remove the lens so that the lighthouse could not be used for navigation to help the blockade. By and large, it was quiet. The Confederates had a fort at the lighthouse, uh, Fort William, a, a a wooden fort. It wasn't until late in the war, uh, around eight, in 1865 or so, that the Union moved in uh, a large number of ships, and the vessels started shelling the lighthouse and Fort William, that sort of thing. They did land a, a landing party that came ashore, uh, burned the steps to... Uh, the wooden steps to the lighthouse. Of course, the Confederates had been using the lighthouse as a, a lookout. They were wanting to deny them that. When the Confederates decided to then leave to retreat, they attempted to blow up the lighthouse tower to deny uh, the lighthouse to the Union at all, also as a lookout tower. Uh, they didn't succeed in destroying the tower. They blew an eight-foot hole in the side. And by the way, on the inside, you can see where that was repaired after the war. But at any rate, with the Confederates retreating, the Union landed about a 1,000 troops at the lighthouse. The, another group uh, was going up the St. Mark's River, and the troops uh, marched inland. Uh, first met the Confederates at uh, a town called Newport. They attempted to cross the river. They couldn't. And then finally uh, fought the Battle of Natural Bridge south of Tallahassee and so on. So it was a pretty active time, a pretty exciting time and so forth uh, uh, for the lighthouse during the war between the states. And at the same time, the surrounding area uh, had uh, Confederate salt works. So, which got uh, shelled regularly by the, the blockade squadron and so forth. So the lighthouse suffered a lot of damage in the course of not only bombardment from the Union blockading ships, uh, the landing party burning structures, 
and the steps, as well as damage when the Confederates tried to destroy the tower itself. But the lighthouse was repaired rather than rebuilt, is that correct, after the the war? Correct. Uh, you see different in in different sources it says it's rebuilt uh actually the tower itself the lighthouse itself uh, just needed repair keepers quarters had been destroyed the tower was raised slightly during that repair period and then subsequently in the 1870s and 80s the focal plane was raised even higher but the lighthouse tower itself though heavily damaged uh still stood so that tower survived a heck of a lot between the the Civil War and before that, uh, major hurricanes, especially, I believe there was a hurricane in uh, 1843 that did tremendous damage? Tremendous damage. 1840s and 50s were really rough in that area in terms of uh, hurricanes. And hurricanes still batter the lighthouse. Hurricane Michael, recently, the storm surges uh, swept across. Fortunately, it did not get high enough to get into the keeper's quarters. But that lighthouse has withstood storms, Union bombardment, attempts to blow it up. It it keeps standing. Uh, You mentioned Hurricane Michael. If we could stay with uh, recent history now, of course, the light station is now located within the the St. Mark's Wildlife Refuge. The station has been uh, transferred to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. I know the uh, Friends of St. Mark's Wildlife Refuge provide a lot of support uh, for the, the refuge. And uh, within the Friends of St. Mark's Wildlife Refuge, there's the Lighthouse Committee. Uh, could you explain what the Lighthouse Committee does? Sure. When it became apparent that it, we were getting close to getting a transfer from the U.S. Coast Guard to turn uh, the lighthouse over to the Fish and Wildlife Service, the friends knew that we would need to be the principal fundraisers. The uh, refuge itself, staff can't go out and solicit funds. They're U.S. government personnel, and um, people will go, well, gee, why doesn't the government just repair the lighthouse, that sort of thing. The friends are the 501c3 uh, organization, so we can go solicit funds, and those any donated funds can be tax deductible, etc. What happened in the beginning, in terms of committee uh, work, was the refuge manager Terry Peacock very wisely in the beginning set up actually four committees, so that people weren't sort of tripping over each other. One was preservation which was the facilities manager at the refuge plus architects and contractors giving advice, a fundraising committee, an operations committee that would operate once the lighthouse was uh, restored, how it would be operated, and, of course, a communications committee uh, to keep the public informed about what was going on, newspaper articles, etc. All of that reported to a central steering committee. Now that the lighthouse has been restored, there is a single committee that more or less takes care of each of those fun, uh, functions, mainly concentrating now on simply how do you operate the lighthouse as an interpretive center, et cetera, et cetera. So like most groups that have a lighthouse they want to restore, there's a lot of moving parts, different pieces, and so forth. And 
basically at that time we had four different groups who focused on specific areas of the whole task. If we could uh, talk about the the lens for a few minutes, the historic fourth order Fresnel lens that was in the lighthouse was removed in 2014 for restoration, and the restoration was actually carried out at the Ponce Inlet Light Station, which has an amazing uh, lens exhibit of their own. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the the restoration of the Fresnel lens from St. Mark's? Yeah, that was very exciting. The whole that whole time because uh, that was really the first where people could start saying, okay, they really are about to start restoring the lighthouse. The lighthouse change of command ceremony had occurred uh, back in the spring of 2014. We knew we needed to uh, remove the historic lens uh, in order to restore the cast iron and glass lantern room. That was the first order of business, and we needed that valuable uh, historic lens out of that. So uh, calling on the Ponce Inlet people for advice, Ring Power donated a man lift, and the whole operation was very carefully choreographed, literally, where people practiced and practiced where different hands would go and so forth because the lens had to be handed out through a window of the lantern room. So everybody's holding their breath, of course, uh, moving by hand that lens very carefully from hand to hand out the window onto the man lift and then bringing the whole thing down. Wow. Uh, yeah, everybody, there was a whole crowd there, and we were all going, oh, God, don't let anything happen <laughs> to that lens. And, of course, it had to be very carefully packed up in um, a small convoy, taking it carefully down to the Ponce Inlet people who have conservators. And uh, they were the real champions of all that, cleaning uh, the lens, uh, restoring it. No missing prisms were replaced, but everything was cleaned, et cetera, et cetera. And basically, uh, they donated their services. We paid for you know materials used and so forth. And that lens is now on display inside the uh, Wildlife Refuge Visitor Center. And uh, it's a pretty uh, striking article, obviously. Uh, a nice fourth order lens. It's just beautiful, built in the 1850s. And I really encourage anybody who can to come down and and see that historic lens on display. It's fantastic. The lens that's now in use in the lantern of the lighthouse is actually a replica. Yeah, there was a debate about whether or not to put the historic lens, once the lantern room was conserved, do we put the historic lens back in uh, the lighthouse and have a replica lens down in the museum interpretive center or vice versa. Finally, the refuge manager decided the historic lens would possibly be better protected uh, at the visitor center. And so that's where that's on display. So we wanted to relight the light, plus have a lens up there. Even in the day, people can see it. It finishes the visual aspect of a working lighthouse to be able to see that lens. 
So we knew we needed to get a replica built, and of course, uh, we're fortunate in Florida of having Dan Spinella right. of um, Artworks Florida, who has built so many uh, replica lenses and repaired lenses around the country. And he did uh, very careful measurements, photographs, plus the old drawings that were still intact for it. The overall cost of that uh, was such that you know we were going to need to raise money. And working with a one of our donors, a single husband and wife came forward with the and donated the entire cost to have a replica lens built. Earlier uh, this year, uh, back in the summer, it was good and hot that day, Dan came and assembled a perfectly beautiful replica lens up in the lantern room. Well, he does amazing work. I've seen uh, one of his replica lenses at Rose Island Lighthouse in Newport, Rhode Island, and I just saw a replica lens he created for the, the current movie, The Lighthouse, a third-order lens that's uh, just absolutely fantastic. If you didn't know, you wouldn't think that it's not a, a real uh, authentic lighthouse lens. Yeah, he's a, he's, he's a good guy to work with, too. Very, very nice to work well on. Yeah, so I've heard. So let's talk about the recent restoration project for the lighthouse, which included a lot of work, uh, actually both on the lighthouse tower and keeper's house. Without going into tremendous detail on every every aspect of the work that was done, can you tell our listeners some of the highlights of what was accomplished? Gee, I'd like to tell you details of all of it. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> as, mu- as much as uh, you'd like. Yeah, just some of the highlights. Um, like I had mentioned, the first order of business, the first thing we faced was was the thing that was deteriorating fastest was the lantern room being uh, cast iron and glass in, in, in a saltwater environment and the humidity and so on. A lot of that was deteriorating rapidly. We did have to have <clears throat> some pieces uh, totally refabricated and uh, then moving down toward the keeper's quarters, which was just just in terrible shape. Just uh, no real work had been done in, in decades. Uh, some of the highlights, the wooden steps going up the tower, several were badly rotted. They were originally of uh, cypress. We were able to get uh, old deadhead cypress, and have that milled so that the replica steps, or the new steps rather, are actually as old. The wood is just as old as uh, what had originally been in there. At every stage in the restoration, uh, the general contractor we used just had subcontractors who were real artisans at repairing things, re uh, or, or taking uh in some cases, having to build new versions of things so that, you know, everything was to the best of everybody's ability, just restored back to just beautiful condition. The floors, which had been pine, those that rotted floors that were taken up, uh, old uh, pine floors from an old barn are down there now and sealed. And wavy glass in the windows where panes were missing and so forth. Just a lot of artisanship on the part of those contractors, just good tradespeople wanting to really get in the spirit of things. 
Of course, one of the things we were interested in was what would happen, what would we find when the floors were pulled up or the old rotting beadboard when some of that had to be taken off the walls and so forth, what would we find? And sure enough, uh, underneath the floors were, of course, some broken ceramics, a very nice bottle, old shoe level uh, leather, uh, newspapers, uh, lots of lots of artifacts. The Fish and Wildlife Service has an archaeologist for the southeast, uh, Rick Kanaski, and of course. Rick was documenting all of that and uh, conserving the materials brought up. And many of those pieces can be viewed down at the the, the Keeper's Quarters uh, Museum so that people can see uh, some of the stuff that was underneath the floors and so on. Any kind of construction like that, you know, you're going to have things dropped, thrown away, that kind of stuff. And, of course, taking off some of the beadboard, you were able to see how they actually had constructed the four-foot-thick walls of the keeper's quarters. And uh, we have a a glass panel at one point where uh, visitors can look inside there and see how the construction was done. We also found a secret room, no skeletons in it, uh, anything like that, but... There was a bricked-up area under the front porch that nobody could figure out what was beyond the brick. And as they took up the rotting flooring of the porch, they found another room down there with a door that went up underneath the lighthouse tower and so on. We really found no artifacts in there, uh, and nobody knows why it was there. We think it possibly was kerosene storage at one point and then stairs that went up inside. But, yeah, we found lots of stuff and still a few mysteries. So in August 2018, uh, there was an event, a special event, that celebrated the completion of the work that had been done to that point, I believe, right? Right. Uh, And uh, some of the descendants of the Keepers, I think, were present at that event. That must have been really exciting uh, for everybody involved. Oh, that was really exciting. There are a number of descendants that live in the area. In fact, one is on our our committee. But we had descendants that came from around the United States, around Florida. I was amazed that uh, there are descendants of some of the families, of, of all the keepers and families that had been there. We even had descendants of Keeper Kennedy, who was the keeper both before, during, and just after uh, the Civil War. So it was great to have the families there. They really love seeing the facility restored again. Uh, We love having them share their family oral histories of life at the uh, lighthouse, and of course all of that was recorded. And we got the different families together in different groups and to get photographs on the steps. But uh, we learned a lot from them. Uh, it was just great. And we still have descendants, you know, when they can uh, come by, drop in, and and share stories and so forth. It's obvious that for a lot of families, if there was a keeper, 
in the family, if there was a period in which they were lighthouse keepers, that's a treasured part of family lore. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's always the uh, the keepers and families that bring these places to life. I mean, the places are, are great, but it's the, the people that, that make it special. So that's that's great that you were able to, to share everything uh, with, with these, these people at that time. I know the this uh, work, the restoration work, is never truly finished, but would you say at this point that the major restoration work at St. Mark's is, is completed, or are there more work projects that still need to be done? Uh, is there anything basically in the pipeline at this point? Uh, yeah, you, you said it best. I, I think there's restoration will always be ongoing, but yes, the major uh, restoration is complete. We do have uh, a few things with the keeper's house uh, that we'd still like to do. The rear shutters really need to be uh, redone again. Uh, the contractors did sort of the best they could on those, but we really need to spend some money and really have those uh, redone very nicely. We have, at, at one time, the, the lighthouse uh, had a brick walkway, very beautiful, and we have uh, replaced all of that. There, a lot of what we're concentrating on now is uh, restoring some of the ex, uh, exterior aspects of the light station. At one time, or for or decades, it had a white picket fence. It was, uh, we'll put that back. The big ticket expensive items, we're, we've completed that. But there will always be ongoing things to do and and so forth. One of the things we're fortunate with, we restored this lighthouse back to the late 1920s, 30s, the way it looked at that time. And one reason for that was uh, we had a lot of photographs of that period. The family that was there, the Gresham family had a camera and they used it. And even though they might be taking pictures of an individual, in the background you could you know, see the lighthouse and see details and so forth. Um, so they have a lot of photo documentation that we can use to restore things back to the way they looked on the grounds at the time and, and, and so forth. So um, much of what is going on now is, is really moving out toward uh, restoring the light station as it was back during that period. Oh, those photographs are so valuable. Most most lighthouses don't have anything like that. You're uh, pretty lucky to have that, I have to say. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's that's quite rare. So the renovated keeper's house is open for public tours. Can you explain how that works? Yes, it's not open every day. Generally, the uh, refuge it's open on Tuesdays and Fridays and Saturdays of every week. That sometimes varies somewhat, especially, say, during holiday periods and, and things like that. Uh, but generally, they're trying to stick to Tuesdays, uh, Fridays, and Saturdays. The limitation is really uh, having uh, the volunteers demand the interpretive center, having the docents and people in costume and that sort of thing. So if anybody would like to volunteer <laughs> mm. in the area to, uh, you know, the lighthouse then could be open uh, even more. One caveat with touring it is uh, right now, 
except for uh, just uh, very small accompanied groups. Uh, there is no climbing. We can't just let tourists freely go climbing the lighthouse as other lighthouses uh, do allow the safety officer for the Fish and Wildlife Service is sort of the last word on that. And by the configuration of the uh, St. Mark's Lighthouse, the Lantern Room, and so forth, he thinks it's unsafe to have unaccompanied tourists. No climbing, though. There's cameras up there, and you can still get a 360-degree view, that sort of thing. And it's perfectly, truly perfectly safe to to climb it. Everything has been restored. But we are working with a government agency, and they have their rules. The best thing to do for mm-hmm. people, really, if they want to visit, is uh, go online to the refuge website or call the wildlife refuge and see what the schedule is for lighthouse openings that week. What if people want to volunteer? You mentioned that there is a need for volunteers. What what should people do if they're interested in volunteering? Call the St. Mark's Wildlife Refuge directly. The phone number is area code 850-925-6121. And they would love to have your help. Great. Before we wrap things up, let me ask you, how did you personally get involved with the Lighthouse and Refuge? Well... I've always been fascinated with lighthouses and visited them, not just in Florida, but in throughout travels and so on. Just loved lighthouses and read about them and so on. When I joined the board of the uh, Friends of St. Mark's, uh, was right about the time it looked like the turnover would occur from the Coast Guard to the Fish and Wildlife Service. And being the new guy on the block, the new guy on the uh, board, uh, the president said, gee, how would you like to be the guy that is the fundraising chairman? Go out and raise funds for this. You know how it is when there's the new person, give them the job. Then. <laughs> <laughs> so basically that's how I inherited uh, being the fundraising chairman for the Lighthouse. Okay, for bonus points, what's your favorite thing about volunteering for St. Mark's Lighthouse? Boy, that's uh, really a couple of things. One of the neatest things was just seeing this beautiful structure getting restored because we'd been in it for years with it just, you know, falling apart and then just seeing it come to life as the work was being done and so forth. And then the other thing I think was just uh, the favorite thing was working with just all sorts of people. Uh, We had a marvelous historical architect who was just a great person to work with, very knowledgeable. And then all the people who donated. I mean, so many people around the country, all over the U.S., have a connection with that lighthouse. And we kept finding, you know, people would donate money and, and have a story with it. And you had people that donated very small sums of money, but the lighthouse meant a great deal to them. And you had people who individually donated significant amounts of money. But it was so interesting to hear the stories and work with all the people and so forth. It's 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 a project that you wind up meeting a lot of people, but a lot of people with the same sorts of desires, 
and everybody is pulling to have a restored lighthouse because it means something to them in some way. And that was just rewarding just to, to have all that come together. Well, Tom, it's obviously a, a very special place, and your love for it is very evident. Tom Baird, the chairman of the Friends of St. Mark's Wildlife Refuge Lighthouse Committee and Fundraising Committee Chair. Again, I thank you so much for spending time with me this afternoon. I really appreciate it, and I wish you continued success with everything uh, with the St. Mark's Lighthouse. So thank you so much, Tom. You're quite welcome, and come on down and enjoy some warmer weather. <laughs> that sounds really good to me. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you to today's guest, Tom Baird of the Friends of St. Mark's Wildlife Refuge Lighthouse Committee. You can learn more by going to the website stmarksrefuge.org. That's S-T-M-A-R-K-S-R-E-F-U-G-E dot org. Thanks also to all the volunteers, members, and staff of the U.S. Lighthouse Society and all its chapters and affiliates. Go to uslhs.org to learn more about all the USLHS has to offer and check out the social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to check out the great domestic and international tours the Society offers. And if you're a fan of this podcast, please consider becoming a member of the U.S. Lighthouse Society and or please make a donation to help support this podcast. Thank you to everyone everywhere who works for the preservation of lighthouses, lightships, and all kinds of maritime history. We're all on the same team, and everything you do is important and is appreciated. Happy New Year to all our faithful listeners. We really appreciate your support. That does it for another episode of Lighthearted. As always, thanks for listening, and keep, keep a, a good, good light. light. Let it shine, let it shine